0: One is design. We obsessed about the design and the experience that the user was going to go through. The main reason for this is you're trying to present roughly ETL to a non-technical user. But the end person, end user, uploading this data is very frequently an incredibly non-technical person. We have a Catholic school that uses Flat file via the fundraising product that they have, to upload lists of donors. And the people uploading data are nothing less than Catholic nuns. That person probably <laughs> doesn't know what an Excel formula is. I'm David Boskovic, founder and CEO of Flatbile.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. Nothing at the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know it's what to do next. It took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The
0: company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. I was proud of our team.
1: Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, pain. we've been fighting it as we grew. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, my Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really want it's it, not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapark, and today, how David Boscovic is giving you a way to build ideal data experiences from one click imports to enterprise data prep. This episode is sponsored by Kiteworks. Legacy-managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With Kiteworks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP Moderate Authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with Kiteworks. Visit Kiteworks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash code story. David Boskovic grew up on a farm in a small town in Canada. He grew up milking cows, not building technology. However, when he was 12 years old, he built a website for his dad. And after he built and rebuilt it several times, he was hooked on technology. Outside of tech and software, he enjoys playing poker with friends, gambling, and working on his new house. When asked what his favorite type of food was, he said it's always something that he hasn't tried before. Because it's always better when you haven't had it yet. In the past, David had built CSV imports into websites aplenty, many, many times, even back to the site he built for his dad at 12 years old. After being presented the need to build it again, he asked the question, when does it make sense to build this as a product and launch a company? This is the creation story of Flatfile.
0: Flatfile simply is if you've ever had to import a CSV file or a spreadsheet into an app, which at this point, being alive, like mandates you've had this experience. This started because I had built one too many CSV importers. At my last company before Flatfile, we were trying to solve this problem of onboarding our customers. And our customers were large enterprises with offices full of employees and attendees. And the software was this app that would sit on the desk downstairs in the lobby and when people would come in, they would sign in, they would indicate which employee they're there for, put in their name, etc. When you're a large enterprise with tens of thousands of employees all around the world, with dozens of locations, your data is gonna come from so many different sources. It might be coming from a random building management system here, it might be coming from an employee software here. The commonality is that it's just an unpredictable format. So we were solving this problem as many software companies have to do and trying to build this import a CSV function in the product. And it struck me that I had built this a dozen times throughout my career, actually the first time at 12 years old, building a website for my dad's company, trying to get the inventory into the website. And I, I was like, how many times do I have to build this before so- finally there's a product around it? This problem just bothered me so much that, I, that the next weekend, I, <laughs> I like to say, I went and Rage designed my dream version of this feature. I sat on a Figma and I just started thinking like, what if this were more than, than everything we've ever been able to do? What if it automatically mapped all the columns? What if it let the users correct the issues in line, right? All the product thinking that goes into dreaming of a new product. And that was the beginning of it. I had a friend who was looking for work and I was like, I hired him to build it out over the course of a couple months and launched it. And I rarely experienced product market fit from day one. But this was something that everybody was looking for. And it was just an incredible sort of out of the gate sense that made it clear that this needed to be a company and a lot more than a side project.
1: Let's dive into the MVP of... Flat file. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take you to build? And what sort of tools were you using to bring it to life? It took a couple of months.
0: A basic React app. We wanted to keep it as simple as possible. And so one of the choices we made was to keep it entirely client-side. Now that limited some functionality. But the key thing that was missing from every single data onboarding experience, data import experience, was the ability to resolve the issues that you discovered during import in line. And so while there are many different products that provided the ability to upload a very specifically shaped CSV file, there weren't many that allowed you to map it, and there were none that allowed you to correct the issues after mapping So we focused almost all of our attention on this basically in browser data table experience that would highlight the issues that you experience. Let's say you're trying to use a CRM and you upload your list of 1,000 people that signed up at a conference. There's gonna be 10% of those that have invalid emails. Someone wrote it in wrong or something like that. So can we quickly highlight those to you and call them out so that you don't import bad data or you're able to correct it? So we spent almost all of our energy on that and very little energy on everything else from infrastructure to et cetera. One of the other advantages was, because it was entirely client-side, the cost of launching it was almost nothing, right? All of the computation runs in the browser. We didn't have to think about scaling servers and all the volume that would come with that.
1: So in that first version, You know, really with any first version or MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? Around, you know, how you're going to approach it, feature cut, limitation, tech debt, all the things, right? And you mentioned the client side. There may be some really interesting stories there, but I'm curious about decisions and trade-offs you had to make about how you were going to build it and how you cope with those decisions.
0: There are a couple of things that we were not willing to compromise on going in. One is design. We obsessed about the design and the experience that the user was going to go through. The main reason for this is you're trying to present roughly ETL to a non-technical user. At the end person, end user, uploading this data is very frequently an incredibly non-technical person. We have a Catholic school that uses file file via the fundraising product that they have, to upload lists of donors. And the people uploading data are nothing less than Catholic nuns. That person probably (laughs) doesn't know what an Excel formula is. So how do we present a experience that allows them to upload their list of donors and quickly send out an email campaign asking for funds to do the next initiative without having to learn a technical skill? And so that was the core problem. How do we really obsess about the design so that it was simple and yet fully functional ETL effectively? Most of the trade-offs we made were orienting more heavily towards simple design and cutting any features that kind of compromise that. That is still the greatest war within our product, right? Customers frequently ask for things that are complex features. But we have to remember the end user is not somebody who can understand a complex feature. So each thing that we take on, right, has to go through the same lens of, can this be presented simply to someone who is entirely non-technical and still be able to be successful? A lot of others will say this thing that's like, oh, can your grandmother understand it? For our product, that's literally true. We have to build an ETL product that your grandmother could use. And that's that's no small that's no small feat. So the trade-offs we made were almost always oriented towards simplicity of design versus complexity or
1: capability. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where CashFly comes in. CashFly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, CashFly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only CashFly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a five terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cachefly.com/codestory. That's c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com/codestory. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S.com. Okay, cool. So then you've got your MVP. It's working. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? You know, and I'm curious about that process, and I'm curious about how you went about building your roadmap. And, you know, what were you doing to decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with FlyFile? This answer might
0: sound cliche, but our customers have always built our roadmap for us. You're building a company to this scale now and keeping the latency between customer feedback and product iterations low has been an incredible journey. But from the MVP at, at the gate, people were immediately giving us feedback. People were like, oh man, this is great, except for this one thing. We started building that into our framework, our mental model of how that should be built. And as we did, we started getting to what you would consider your first V1. And the initial launch was not a V1. It was very much a V0 that needed maturing. But customers were very generous with their feedback early on, and that became our roadmap. The volume of the customer feedback and the way it was being used started indicating that it needed to be more. And that's when I decided to quit my job and go full time on this, raise money, and build out a company around this. But it was after a lot of customer feedback started establishing how much we could do with this and how far it could go.
1: You you know, I hear you, you talking about this is how we did it. And that is a team, right? How did you build your team? What did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you?
0: I just started telling people about this idea. I was just like, hey, check this out. Here's my mock-ups. What do you think? And I would ask people that had experienced this problem somewhat or could provide some good feedback around it. And what was amazing and has always been amazing for me with LaFile is that very frequently, the reaction of those people was, oh my god, I'm so excited you're doing this, right? Like I've had to do this a number of times. I I can't believe this doesn't exist. How can I be involved? So very early on, it was just everybody I talked to about it that had any experience with it, wanted to get their hands on it. And so I just left them. I paid people in safes, I didn't have much money, um, but I just gave gave them equity for the amount of dollar, amount of time they were putting in. I just gave them equity for the time. And everybody was happy with that. And that sort of helped early on put a founder mindset filter on anybody who would be involved is right. And once we started getting to fundraise and actually capitalizing on this, it was clear who was ready to like invest a lot of their life and a lot of their experience into this and who was just there to pitch in. So out of that group, we filtered in a small team of six people and started a company with people who already had ownership stakes in the business. We ran it much like an open source project, but it wasn't open source. It was closed source since the beginning, and it was open to people to contribute in exchange for ownership. We actually now have 50, 60% of our product is open source uh, because of how much people build around the platform. But er- early on, there's this challenge of just, when people are excited about an idea, showing them the path to success. And I think this has always been my journey as CEO, is getting people excited about it, but then also showing them how they can win alongside uh, this idea. There's a couple things I look for, and I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that. There's two things that are true of every flat file employee. There's a level of obsession with the problem that we're solving and the area of expertise that employee brings. We demand from everybody, and obsession is an interesting thing. It's particularly important with remote companies. In a remote company, you rely almost entirely on intrinsic values to drive contribution, focus, and energy. In an office, there can be a lot more around extrinsic motivators. But remote, you rely so much on the individual managing themselves and motivating themselves. So I've always looked for someone who's like able to get obsessed about this problem. The second thing is if someone isn't able to think from first principles about how to solve the problems that they're given in the business, they're gonna be inherently limited. And at Flatfile, we optimize for people who are not necessarily the most experienced in their careers in this area. People are really capable of reducing the problems to first
1: principles and reasoning about it.
0: That's allowed us to build an incredibly successful team with a lot fewer people than a lot of our peers.
1: This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well then you lose. But that's where CashFly comes in. CashFly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra low latency streaming, lightning fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years CashFly has held a track record for high-performing ultra reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only CashFly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, CodeStory listeners can get a 5 terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at That's cachefly.com/codestory. That's c a c h e f l y.com/codestory. Hello, welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry, goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at ClearQuery.io slash code story. This will be interesting given you know what you're building, what you've what you've built, what you're still building, and who you're building it for, I'm curious about scalability. And if you had to build this to scale efficiently or with scale in mind from day one, or were there areas where you had to fight it as you grew?
0: Early on, it was the easiest because, you know, back to my original point, we had done this entirely client-side. So we could build features pretty indiscriminately and not worry about the processing power required to deliver functionality. As the company grew, One of the biggest advantages Flatfile has developed over time is the ability to observe the decisions that people make when mapping and correcting data. And when you want to incorporate that into automation, right, uh, all of that processing power moves to your responsibility. A year in, we had to start building, actually building our first servers, right? This couldn't run on a single AWS instance anymore. This had to actually become a platform. We were at that point already processing millions of files a year. That is a lot of data. File-based data has some really interesting characteristics in that oftentimes they're large and you're processing them, but only for an immediate point in time where someone is sitting there in the browser waiting for something to happen, right? So you can't do what people normally do and go, oh cool, this will take an hour to process come back when it's done, right? You need to do it almost instantaneously while they're in there. So we needed to build a system capable of handling these, this incredibly spike usage and do it reasonably affordably. From that moment onward, we've been fighting with the scale problems every step of the way. Not without principle, though. The trade-offs we make here are, we always build the features we need for the next near-term scale. A near-term is you know, three to six months, nothing further than that because the most likely thing when building a product is that you're gonna to have to change your product, not that you're gonna to have to scale it. But the likelihood of getting it perfect the first time is near zero, right? So as soon as you, if, if you try to over invest in scalability out of the gate, you just wasted so many of your resources. So we wait until it gets close to breaking, right? Until people are like, hey, this is a bit too slow. We need this to be faster uh, before we really start thinking about the scale side of it. And we have brilliant engineers who can actually solve these problems and tractable amounts of time. But we wait until it becomes close to a problem before we start investing in scale. There's this you know, common trope of nail it before you scale it. But at FlatFile, that's very core to how we develop.
1: So David, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with FlatFile, what are you most proud of? There's this aspect of our product
0: that we consider the fusion core of everything we do. And it comes down to what we call the data experience. When you are trying to solve a data problem, how do you immediately see what that problem is? And how do you interact with it? And so we actually built a data table engine from scratch. Because there's no data table available in the world could give you an application functionality in the cell. Right? So for us, someone might be importing 10,000 records or a million records, right? And there's 15 problems Somewhere in that data, and when they get to that problem, they need to be able to interact with it, review the issues with it. Those issues need to be descriptive. When they start editing that data, it needs to be a good experience. It needs to be simple. It needs to immediately validate. That's a lot more than you expect out of the average Excel spreadsheets. If it's a relationship to another set of data, you need to know whether you're going and adding that record or you're just linking to it. There's a lot of these like little fine-tuned interactions that have to start with a table cell. So we built this data table experience that I I broadly think is one of the best data table experiences in the world because we focused on making every single cell in that table as extensible as an entire application. So once you click in, you can get whatever is needed to resolve that. So we build a lot of our experience around this table. And underlying that is a data engine that is also incredibly challenging to build because our customers bring us data that is bad and then we get it into a good state. But if you think about the average database, databases aren't designed for storing bad data, right? If you say, hey, this needs to be a unique column, they don't let you insert data into that unique column that is not unique. We have to build a, we have, we have to build a database engine that's a fuzzy database engine. You, every type, every constraint, every requirement needed to be enforced, but softly, allowing the user to resolve the issue. So you built a database engine on top of Postgres that basically allows you to store bad data and then correct it over time, benefiting from the performance optimization of Postgres, but allowing us to build this sort of like soft layer on top of that. So combined with this data table experience built up by some of the best front engineers I've ever met, and then this like Postgres engine, we've just had an incredible time on this fusion core. Everything else at Flatfile gets built around that, but that's where we put 70% of our energy.
1: Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: We built this first sort of import button that can be dropped into any web app. So if you're a CRM, you get this button It's like import contacts, right? Your financial software, it's like import transactions, right? We made this really easy. Then we started getting into where this business would go. We raised a lot of money really fast. So we went through three funding rounds in less than two years, raised $50 million up to our Series A. We've raised more since. The thing we started seeing from there was there's going to be a huge opportunity with enterprise accounts. Our enterprise customers were talking to us about problems that were worth tens of millions of dollars in their org, things that were just incredibly complicated, that were absorbing a lot of time and energy and not going anywhere. And if you're talking, if you're thinking about product market fit, you're like, wow, not only have we been able to scale at next, like best in class rates, but we also have this sort of upmarket opportunity where we can get millions of dollars, generate millions of dollars of ROI per account. So we started building for that. And this was interesting because it was building and iterating on this first version of our product. And we were building for a user that we had direct access to. But the one thing about this user is they didn't yet know what they wanted, and that was lost on us a bit. So we did everything right, air quotes. We interviewed our users, we showed them every design. We got them into the product early, we had design partners. We built up this enterprise product that could solve for the complex enterprise on. It. You try to aggregate data from 17 different business units around the world. You have tons of different contributors. It is all similar to the initial functionality we built. This CSV import flow or spreadsheet import flow. But it's much more complex, a lot of business around that. And this is almost universally solved by services and large enterprises. So you can imagine the ROI there. We built this up, we sold a million and a half dollars of this product almost like out of the gate, right? Before anybody had been, had been through onboarding and gotten successful, people wanted this so badly. And then we started onboarding our customers. And we are like, we've got this, right? Our design partners love it, right? Everything, <laughs> we've nailed this. This is <laughs> time to go raise another 50 million. And it turned out after a, <laughs> a very painful year of trying to onboard these customers that we had a lot to learn still. And the main mistake we made was believing that our customers couldn't bring developer resources to bear here. Now, when you're coming into a success services org, that's a reasonable thing to assume. But what we didn't reason about early on enough is that the problem was so expensive for these companies that they're willing to bring anything to the table. So we had built a low code product, but what they really needed was the extensibility of being able to build around these things. Flatfile was offering, so we basically had this product that in theory worked well, and in practice was not extensible enough to meet the enterprise needs. We had a lot of revenue hanging on this. A year and a half ago, we basically put that entire you know, cohort of business on pause and went back to the drawing board and rebuilt that product as a developer platform. And since we launched this developer platform, we now have unlocked it, but not not until after a lot of pain of making that first pass on it.
1: This'll be fun. You know, flat files is, established, doing well, great product. What does the future look like for FlatFile, the product, and for your team?
0: Now as a developer platform, our customers are building incredibly powerful solutions on top of FlatFile. Our objective is to give them the building blocks, these simple data experiences, these mapping automations, and allow them to incorporate that into their business flow wherever it's needed. Our accounts are getting larger, and our customers are, are look more like the Fortune 500 than they ever have. What that means for the business is a lot of culture shifting, right? Uh, we you know, started off initially selling to very small startups, five people here, ten people there. But selling to a Fortune 500 is a very different story. A lot of the shift we're going through now as a company, both in terms of the you know, product that we're building, the way we engineer, the way we develop, and the culture that we have, is orienting towards being able to serve multi-million dollar accounts, right? Being able to serve companies that are betting stock margin changing numbers in their business on flat file. And that takes a lot. And that's a lot of accountability and responsibility that we have to take seriously. There's this you know, common, say, I think, started on Facebook, I think move fast and break things. That's great until you get into the enterprise and then you still have to move fast, but you can no longer break things. That's the journey that we're going through right now.
1: Okay, David, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why.
0: I have I, I've learned through a, building a couple of different startups that very frequently your traditional business advice is wrong, and it's really confused me. Right, like you can't pick up an average business book or book for CEOs and get good advice uh, on how to run a startup. There are good books for startups. Don't get me wrong, and there's now a developing body of, of work around what it takes to build a good startup. But there's something interesting about this problem of like why not? And I believe it comes down to a very simple thing: the economic incentives of a startup have to be oriented around step function changes, but the economic incentives around the average business forever prior to this you know, recent generation of companies that are given an enormous amount of capital and sent out on a mission to find step function advantages in the world, optimized for incremental changes. So the vast majority of business advice comes in terms of incremental advice. How do you get 2% better year over year, 5% if you're lucky, right? How do you just iterate on this previous thing slowly and improve? And even the advice on doing radical things is not that radical. And if you look for Like mentors, advisors, and people who've done this before, you actually are limited in who you find, right? You might find other peers in my world, which I look up to, but is there someone who's just been able to build incredibly large, successful outcome and done so and maintain the ability to have step function advantages at that scale? I think there's only one person who's done this and he's relatively controversial. I know who you, I, I, I'm sure you know who I'm going to say, but Elon Musk is the only person who has been able to continue producing step functions at scale. That is worth noting in the world of business, right? Most of the time, step functions happen early in startups and then eventually start tapering off as company reaches a billion dollars or whatever in valuation, right? Like eventually you start just like optimizing for what you've already learned. There's very few people have been able to continue to go and create the step functions after that stage and as such i think there's a lot to learn from the approaches uh, in building companies and businesses
1: that Musk has taken so with Flatfile, if you could go back to the beginning what would you do different where would you consider taking a different approach does that have to be something that didn't work could have even worked pretty well but maybe you tweak it a little bit
0: one of the things i said early on was if this is ever going to become a company i'm, I'm going to approach it like an investor right i'm going to be the hardest to please person about whether or not this is going to be a company. We did a lot of tests before any like we started investing any time in it that looked like getting a lot of customers involved, that looked like digging deep into everything that customers told us that could be interpreted as, oh, this is yeah, exciting, this is somewhere we can go with it. And ultimately, we, after 18 months, eventually decided to build it out into a company and raise money and go with it. I, that was, you know, largely because I, I didn't want to waste a lot of time on an idea that wasn't going to play out. I think if I were to go back, knowing what I know now, I wouldn't have waited 18 months. I would have dumped on it out of the gate. I wouldn't have been quite so fearsome. Carefulness isn't always bad early on, and that allowed us to learn a lot before and, and throw ourselves into it and allowed us to raise a lot of capital quickly. So it's not all bad, but certainly knowing what I know, I would have started earlier.
1: David, last question. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit several times?
0: The first thing is just everything you do is going to be wrong
1: from a product perspective.
0: Even when you think it's right, it's going to be wrong. Assume that in everything you do, right? If you assume that the first pass you're going to do is going to be wrong, you can stop wasting time researching it and trying to build the perfect product plan, perfect roadmap. There's something really key about the humility it takes to and sometimes develop through a lot of pain that it takes to understand this. Because once you know that you're not just not, there's no amount of preparation that's going to make it right perfectly right the first time you can get in there and get started experimenting and things start moving so much faster when you do and i think i have the only times i've ever regretted the time i've spent on things is when i thought i could get it right on the first try and that just leads to very costly mistakes uh, so assume you're going to get it wrong and get it out there experiment hear the feedback hear how it's wrong maybe you got close maybe you got within 70 percent now you can start iterating and getting closer. Maybe you're so far off that you don't get the reactions that you need or the feedback you need and you go back to the drawing board, but just assume you're wrong. The second piece is the exact opposite sentiment. <laughs> and it's almost always, I, I find that, especially with first-time founders, you get into it and you start doing business and you, you know, might run into negotiating your first deal or having to let go of your first exec. and you second guess everything, right? You're like, oh man, like what if I'm the bad CEO here? And what if this exec is great? I'm just horrible at managing execs. Or or like, how come I can't get this deal over the line? Why is it 30% less than I thought it was going to be? And I feel like I should be a better negotiator. And there's just constant, and yes, you probably are right. You will get that deal done. You will move on, you'll learn every time, right? Fire the the exec, hire another one. You'll learn each time. Optimize for what helps you become the better person, better founder. They are completely different on this point of execs. They're completely different, very functional exec teams. What's different about them? The person who's leading them, right? You build a team that orients around your strengths and your weaknesses, and they make up for that. So maybe this exec is great for someone else, but not necessarily for you. Don't agonize about it. Making decisions quickly and being confident that you Any decision you make here that you are willing to stand behind and willing to keep testing is good enough. Taking time and agonizing over and second guessing yourself is just going to waste more time.
1: Both are fantastic pieces of advice. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thanks for telling the creation story of Flatfile.
0: Absolutely, man. It was wonderful being here.
1: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.